0: tonight, if you have your Bible, let's stand in reverence to the reading of the Bible. In John chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. By the way, a Merry Christmas to all of our families here at Bible Baptist Church from Peggy and I. And again, thank you for your prayer. And I can say on behalf of all of the full-time workers tonight, thank you for your generosity and your kind gift of $250. It's a great need this time of year and great help. And thank you so much. Notice in the book of John chapter number 1, The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Our fathers, we bow before you tonight. We love you, and we thank you for your goodness and kindness that's been bestowed upon us for all the music and for the testimonies of this day for the good presence of God, for your blessings upon the preaching, the testimonies, Lord, for your divine presence. We thank you for your goodness that you've given to us, especially this year. And our fathers, we look forward to 2019. May you take our lives, up and to be dedicated, consecrated, and separated to the work and cause of Christ. For we ask it in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. I would like to draw our attention tonight to verse number five, where the Bible says, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. If I had a thought or a subject tonight, it would simply be a simple thought Into the darkness came the light. Imagine what it must have been on that night with the shepherds in the field, as according to Luke's gospel, when they were in the field and the angels appeared unto him as our preacher preached from the text this morning and that wonderful thought of God announcing the son the birth of his son the Lord Jesus Christ my friend I want you to know tonight it was not just a physical dark night when the birth of Jesus Christ was announced it was spiritually and socially a dark hour as well in fact the world was in great chaos during this time from the Old Testament times when Israel was caught in that vicious cycle and that revolving cycle of being caught in sin and then repenting and getting in under the blessings of God. And then we have the 400-year silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament that was referenced this morning between Malachi and the book of Matthew. And the only revelation, can you imagine that during those 400 years of silence, that the only revelation or the only uh, thing they had to give them instruction or direction uh, concerning God was the Old Testament scrolls of the prophets and that, that which the Lord had given and inspired through his men of old. Imagine no new revelation, no new voice from God, no new canon of Scripture being given during this time. We find that Job went through a span of time where he could not find the Lord. And in Job 23, he said, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Martha said that that if thou hadst been here, my brother would not have died. And there are seasons in life where it seems like the heavens become brass. And, but I say to you that when we come to the birth of Christ, that it was a very dark time. In fact, in the book of uh, Isaiah chapter number nine and verse number two, the Bible says, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light and they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Malachi closes in the Old Testament Given the revelation of the uh, polluted time in which he lived, leading us into the 400 years of silence. The offerings and the sacrifices had become unacceptable to God. Their priests were caught in corruption and the word of God in its purity had been diluted. Also, we find that they had translated the treasures that God, or they had used, I should say, the treasures that God had given them for their own gain and their own glory. In fact, when we come to Malachi chapter number three, they had robbed God of his tithes and of his offerings. Israel's hope for their Messiah was wavering by the time that Christ had come on the scene. For 4,000 years, they had looked for the Messiah. They had looked for the promised seed. And I began to uh, study and I began to realize under the hand of the Medes and the Persians uh, empire and also the iron fists of the Roman uh, empire, Israel was wavering and teetering concerning the coming of the Messiah. It was desperate in the time of Israel. Israel was in a sad spiritual state. The blight of sin had filled the land. In 171 BC, Antiochus invaded Egypt and it was reported to the Jews that Antiochus had been uh, killed during the battle. And as a result of that, they revolted and they tried to reestablish their kingdom. When Antiochus had heard of what had taken place, he gathered his army and marched into Jerusalem. Bear with me tonight if you would. He marched into Jerusalem and, and there uh, they had uh, torn down uh, the things that uh, he had established. It was a time that when Antiochus came in, he literally uh, destroyed the Jews in the sense that he, just, he killed literally thousands of them and put them to death. Israel was taken back into bondage. They had pagan kings and rulers that ruled. The immorality flourished in the land. Religion was dead, much as it is, in much of the uh, churches and the day and age in which we live. There was a formalism, a formalistic form of worship that invaded the churches and the synagogues. It was a powerless day in which they lived. Corruption on every hand. Herod was one of the vilest of rulers. He, was a, he had a preoccupation with power. Herod was addicted to power. In fact, he would kill anyone and anyone that got in his way. History tells us over the time that he killed a brother-in-law, his mother-in-law, two of his sons and one of his wives. <clears throat> he was a vile man. And it was in this season that Christ, God would choose to send Christ to be born in a manger. Herod was preoccupied with possessions. He built seven places or palaces and theaters. He exalted himself. It was a time of prestige with him. And yet we know that it was a time that that he lived in paranoia. He was afraid and fearful of his life. And may I say to you that when it was announced that Jesus of Nazareth would be born in Bethlehem, that there he had a plan to kill and to annihilate the Son of God born in the flesh? He had a reason to be fearful. He was about to meet the king of kings, the Lord of lords who reigns over all humanity. It was much like in the Old Testament the glory of God had departed. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter number four, Ezekiel said, then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house and that the house was filled with the cloud and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. And so we find that the Shekinah cloud had moved from the temple and it moved into the house there in the threshold of the house. Then in Ezekiel chapter number 10 and verse number 18, then the glory of the Lord departed from off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubims. And then in Ezekiel chapter number 11 and verse number 23, and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain which is on the east side of the city. And we find that the glory of God had not moved uh, to the threshold to the cherubims and went up to the city. And the Old Testament, uh, the, uh, the glory of God disappears in the Old Testament. It is only referred to on two or three occasions after that. But it is always referred to before the time of Ezekiel. And now we have not only a time where sin abounds on every hand. Religion is spiritually dead and dying. It has no life and vitality. Humanity is plunged into the deep despair of spiritual darkness and they're without hope in this world. But God looked out over the scene and God saw the darkness of humanity and God sent his son. In the darkness of humanity, the light came from heaven through the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God on the cross of Calvary. May I say to you tonight, in the New Testament, we have a small glimpse of the glory of God in Luke chapter two and verse nine. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among them and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Thank God for that night. It might have been a dark night. But in that darkness came the light, came the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May I just say to you tonight a few things briefly. And that is that Christ was the divine remedy for the sin-sick darkness of this world. Behind the scenes of the 400 years, there may have been no new revelation There may have been new portions of the canon of Scripture and God's eternal Word. But my friend, it is like a play that is unfolding. And sometimes there is quietness and the curtains are pulled and the stage has been changed. The stage is being set for the next chapter. And the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's as if God has pulled the curtains of heaven. And God is setting for the next scene. It closes in darkness. It closes with the sin of humanity. It closes with the deadness of religion. But when those curtains are rolled back, the glory of God appears as it's never appeared before. And in the darkness came the light, the glorious light. Christ, the Son of God. Christ was the remedy for the darkness of this humanity. God's remedy for man's sin was born in the manger. The wonderful, the counselor, the king of kings, the redeemer of my soul, the Lord of lords, my Savior, was born in Bethlehem. One Rearsby said this, and I thought it to be a tremendous thought. One Rearsby said this concerning the shepherds. He said, Consider the fact that they may have been raising the sheep for the sacrifice on the Passover. And here the angels come and proclaim. That Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who will take away sin once for all, who will die, I should say, for sin once for all, where there'll be no more shedding of blood of animals, there on the cross of Calvary, he would die and shed his blood and take it into the heavens and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and God would be eternally satisfied with his blood. It was God in his deity. Yes. God in flesh. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 19 to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. What was the purpose of God sending his son Jesus Christ to be born in the manger? One reason Jesus said, I come to seek and to save that which is lost. We hear the statement, when Jesus was on the cross, we were on his mind. But may I say to you, my friend, when Jesus was in the manger, we were on his mind. All of God's love was wrapped up in Jesus Christ. In John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I shared with them the other day out of the book of John that when the winds obeyed the voice of Jesus Christ, it was God speaking. When the sickness fled, when Jesus touched them, it was God touching. When he held, when the water held him as he walked upon it, it was God walking. When the people stood as speechless as he taught the scriptures, it was God teaching. And when he's the people said, Crucify him, crucify him, and they nailed him to the cross, and there suspended him between heaven and earth, it was God redeeming man. It was God born in Bethlehem? The Bible tells us in the book of Micah, chapter 5, and verse number 2, it speaks of him being born in Bethlehem. And may I say to you tonight, just briefly, Jesus did not come into existence in Bethlehem in the manger. In the beginning, the Bible says in Genesis 1:1, 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Elohim, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In fact, in our text in John, he said, without him, the word, Jesus Christ, made flesh, the glory of God revealed to humanity. Without him was nothing made that was made. And so I say to you tonight That Jesus is as long as God is For he is equal with God He is God in the flesh God the Father, God the Son And God the Holy Spirit And you say tonight preacher You believe that old fashioned doctrine May I say to you tonight I am guilty of the Trinity In believing that God the Father God the Son And God the Holy Spirit Is all one and the same Jesus said if you've seen me you've seen the father he was God before Bethlehem he was sinless the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse number 21 for he hath made him to be sin for us he is my perpetuation he took my place He took a cross that was built for Barabbas and and I had my sins nailed to the cross through Jesus Christ, the Son of God and that's why Bethlehem was there. That's why Jesus was born of a virgin. He was sinless. He was the Savior. Christ's mission wasn't to save just the wealthy, the religious, or the righteous. He came to save sinners of whom I am chief. Luke 19, 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Are you here lost tonight? Then you've got hope. Jesus came to save you. The Bible says, They that are need not a physician, but they that are sick. Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You say, Preacher, you may say, like a, a man said to me here not long ago. He said, Preacher, I'm so vile and wicked, nobody loves me, not even my family, not even my siblings, not even my parents. Nobody loves me tonight, and if I told you what I've done, you wouldn't love me. To which I responded to him, You may be right. Your parents may not love you. Your siblings may not love you. Your friends may not love you. You might tell me what you've done, and for some reason, you might uh, cause me to have reserve um, uh, trust in you and, and cause me to have some resentment towards you. But, my friend, let me remind you tonight there is one who came who was. Manger, to die on the cross. He came to seek and to save sinners of whom I am chief. And I want you to know tonight, he loves you and he'll not reject you if you call upon him tonight. Mid 1977, around June, Christ came into the darkest hour of a young teenage boy. He was hopeless. He was helpless. He was hell bound. He had tried almost everything you can imagine. He had run away from home at the age of 13. He had gotten involved in a lot of things that this world has to offer and everything had let him down and he had let everyone down. But my friend, there was one morning in the spiritual darkness of that soul of that young man At an old-fashioned altar, Jesus Christ, the light came into the darkness of that young man and I was converted to Christ. He saved my poor, wretched soul and my life has been forever changed for the glory of God. He loves the destitute. He loves the depraved. Someone says, well, preacher, isn't there another type of ministry you could do? Pray tell me what other type of ministry is there. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Because of him, we are accepted by him. We are delivered by him. And praise God, we are preserved in him to live forever because of Calvary and because of the birth of Jesus Christ and the manger who come to seek and to save that which was lost. I just want to say this tonight in closing. There is no better time of the year to share Christ and the purpose of Christmas. In the public schools of our nation with our character under construction curriculum, we have developed studies on Easter, Christmas, Halloween, and many of the holidays that Americans celebrate. And I'm not saying we celebrate Halloween. I'm just saying that that we had to develop lessons And you'd be shocked how many of our students today and our young people in this generation know absolutely zero about the purpose of Christmas. I'll close with this as we make preparation to close tonight. Recently, Mrs. Ellis was in a store and she was shopping, and she was shocked as she walked in. There was a Christmas tree. It did not have balls or bulbs, it didn't have garland. It didn't have stars or candles or any other shape, form of decoration or bells that we normally would think of. On that tree were scales, bones, and skeletal remains. Fake, of course. She was highly offended by the thought. But God opened the door to be able to tell the workers and the manager about what Christmas is all about. I've got a message I preached some years ago, a Christmas message. I thought about it tonight, but God led me to John, the world's most decorated tree. My friend, the world's most decorated tree was on a hill far away. It had a top. It had red through his blood darling son of God into the darkness came the light are you here tonight as a child of God and say preacher you just don't know the half of it you know the one thing I've learned the darker the night the brighter the light one preacher said many years ago, preacher, he said, never forget this. Every bright light draws a few bugs. Has your light drawn a few bugs in your life tonight? Why? Oh, why? Why Bethlehem? Why a manger? Because it's God rolling back the curtains of time and saying to humanity. Can I say it in Georgia terms? You ain't seen nothing.